What are you waiting for? Jump on it. Bruh, do you even know what Korean fried chicken tastes like? Of course. I go to the coop every week. What's the coop? What? You uncultured swine? The coop. The most authentic Korean fried chicken restaurant you can find at State College? No preservatives? Cooked to order? Just taste the freshness. Discover the new world. Now at the coop. It's time for Dodger Baseball. Hot man, Tatis drives one to deep left field. He drives one to the moon. High, deep, and very gone. Fernando Tatis Jr. with a two-run shot as the Padres on the board. Welcome to Ducks in the Pond, live on Com Radio. On 0-2. To right field, Adam Engel is there. A no-hitter. The 19th in White Sox history. With Logan Barandis, Gabe Angieri, Ben Surface, and Zach Lambert. So sit back, bang some trash cans, and enjoy. Hello and welcome into Ducks on the Pond here live on Com Radio. I'm your host for today, Zach Lambert, joined in studio by Logan Barandis and on Zoom by Gabe Angieri and Ben Surface. How are we doing today, guys? I'm all right, Zach. I'm excited to uh, talk some baseball. This is the first time we've done a show where I'm on this, where I'm in this studio, the production room. But uh, there's a lot of baseball news that's come out over the past couple of days, and it should be fun to talk about. Yeah, there has been a lot of baseball news that's come out over the past couple of days, you're right, and uh, we'll start just getting right into it. There's been some history made, a couple of new GMs, the Angels hired uh, Perry Manazian, and the Marlins have made history, hired the first ever female GM, Kim Ng. Pretty awesome, just because, you know... It's cool to see baseball kind of opening up, and really this is the first woman in a significant position of power in kind of any sport. Um, so it's cool to see that barrier broken, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on it, so we'll start with the guys over on Zoom. We'll start with Ben. Ben, uh, I just want your thoughts on the whole the whole, the whole matter. I think it's awesome, and I think it's – it's good for sports in general, not just baseball, you know, but I think it's a victory in all professional sports because she is the first, you know, she's the first woman. She's the first uh, woman of, of color uh, to be in a position like this and it, good, good for the Marlins organizations. Well, they're definitely an organization that's trending up. And I think, you know, they got a great person to help, you know, guide that organization to hopefully another championship for them. But, you know, she's, she's plenty experienced, you know, this definitely isn't, you know, just some PR move, you know, she's more than qualified. Um, and I think, you know, she definitely paves the way for future uh, generations of females to uh, to be in positions of power or uh, authority in any organizations across sports. Yeah, I also think it's a it's a great move. I mean, like Ben said, she's very qualified. I mean, she's been in baseball since 1990. I believe she started off with the White Sox. She was a she was a Dodgers um, assistant vice president. She was the Dodgers VP and then assistant GM from 2002 to 2011. I mean, 
from what you see around baseball today, the move's being applauded by everyone. It's a long overdue. It's not, not a PR move, like Ben said. Very qualified. Probably one of the most qualified people in the entire sport, I would say. And yeah, this is just the Marlins are definitely trending upwards. Playoff appearance last year. Don Manley, manager of the year. I know we'll get to that later. But great move for the Marlins. And kudos to Derek Jeter and the ownership with the Marlins for making this move long, very long overdue. And like I said, great move for the Marlins. Yeah, kind of like the guys on Zoom hit on before, it, this is not a publicity stunt. And I'm really glad that uh, Derek Jeter and the Marlins uh, executives there did not go in that direction. Because uh, Kim Ng, they said it before, she's got over 30 years of MLB experience uh, with the Dodgers, with the Yankees as, as assistant GM, and she's worked with the White Sox uh, back in the 90s. She's worked inside the MLB uh, in, that, in that staff. So she's been around, and she's been around baseball for 30-plus years. And not only is she the first woman in, um, uh, first woman GM in all of sports, but I think she's the first uh, Asian American GM in baseball. So she's breaking barriers in more ways than one. Yeah, and it's just awesome for the game. Um, awesome to see, you know, barriers expanded. Like we said, um, we could look back on this one day and see it as significant as Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier because. Really, this is a sport, and really all sports have been dominated by by males, and especially in the front offices, but it's good to see, good for the game. Uh, but she's got a lot of work ahead of her. You know, the Marlins did have a good year this year. Granted, it was a 60-game season, but what if you were taking over the Marlins, what do you guys think they need to do down there? Well, I mean, right now the Marlins are in a pretty good spot. Uh, they surprised everyone in that division, finishing second in the N- in the NL East this year, uh, and even won a playoff series on top of that. So they're in a pretty good spot. They have a lot of young guys on that roster. So they they could be a couple, uh, maybe a couple free agent acquisitions away uh, from potentially competing for future for future division titles, and maybe even get to the World Series in a couple of years. They uh, swung for the fences. They got Starling Marte at the trade deadline. And maybe they might need a couple more of those veteran bats to uh, go on top of that. I think they just need to let them develop. You know, they got a lot of young talent. They got some flamethrowers in that bullpen. They've got some extremely, extremely talented starters in Alcantara and Sixto Sanchez. So the talent's there. But uh, I think you just got to let them develop. And like Logan said, maybe sprinkle in a few veterans via free agency. But the tools are there. They got a decent farm system to continue growth. Um, I think they just got to let their players develop. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, dude, the Marlins have great young starting pitching. You need to keep building. Don't do anything too drastic. Keep building up that starting rotation. Let, let those guys develop. If you want to make moves, go maybe go outside the organization for some position players, but don't mess with that starting pitching. That, that's definitely one thing. You have – like you said, Ben, Sixo Sanchez, they got in the JT Real Muto deal. Alcantara, a really young Trevor Rogers. You have young starting pitching, talented starting pitching. That's only going to get better from here. So let that develop. Maybe go out, get some position players, and get let's keep it rolling for the Marlins. Just keep it rolling, keep building. And I think that's what they're going to do. And another new GM signing out in Anaheim. The Angels brought on Perry Manasian to be their new GM. And he's got a pretty important job ahead of him. He's got one of the greatest players of all time sitting in his outfield. He's got to find a way to get that guy to the playoffs and hopefully get him a ring. Um, so 
from a standpoint of how was this move, it's tough to say right now, definitely, because, you know, it's kind of hard to analyze front office moves. But from the standpoint of now what he needs to do, you know, we talked a little bit about what Kim Ng needs to do. What do you guys think the Angels GM needs to do to get Mike Trout to the playoffs? Well, this is another very experienced GM we have in Perry, uh, Perry Manasian. He's coming. He, he's been around the game just like Kimming a very long time. Starting out at age eight, he was a uh, ball boy for the Texas Rangers, <laughs> and he's worked. He's worked among teams like the Toronto Blue Jays teams that uh, made it to a couple ALCSs, and he was recently working in the with the Atlanta Braves team uh, just now. So those teams have been very competitive in the past. And those teams both had a great mix of mostly mostly really solid lineups, and they also had really solid pitching staffs. The Atlanta Braves, they kind of got by with a really solid lineup, and even without um, Mike Soroka for most of the year, uh, this year in Atlanta, they still were able to get by throughout most of the season with their pitching staff they did have. And the Blue Jays, they had a couple decent guys pitching as well. So what he really has to do is simple, Perry Marnesian. He just has to get pitching. Whether it's Trevor Bauer going after more small guys uh, in free agency, the Angels have to focus on pitching. They have the lineup there to get it done, and they have the, they have probably the greatest player of all time, or one of the greatest players of all time, and Mike Trout, still in his prime, alongside Anthony Rendon and David Fletcher and some of those guys they have on that team. So they just need to go out there and get some pitching, whether it's in the rotation or whether it's in bullpen. I yeah. like to hire for the. I like to hire for the Angels. Um, I think of the guys that, you know, you heard rumored to be interviewed. Uh, I thought he was the best one. He's, you know, obviously well thought of, you know, in the industry, you know, you look at Alex Anthopoulos, the president of baseball ops down in Atlanta. He's obviously a smart guy. You know, he brought him down from Toronto to work with him in Atlanta when he got that gig. So, you know, he comes from, you know, he knows how to win. You know, they won when he was there in Toronto as a scout. And, you know, the Braves have obviously been extremely successful since he's been involved in that front office there. So I think, you know, there's a lot of work to be done with the angels. They obviously have Mike Trout and they have some talented players, but there's a lot of holes and a lot of work to be done in a competitive division. So I think he's definitely got his work cut out for him, but he's the best guy that they could have picked from, I think. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, like Kim, Kim, he's very qualified. He was a scout with the Rangers from 03 to 09 scout with the blue Jays from 09 to 2017 and an assistant GM with the Braves from 2017 to 2020. The Braves have been very successful over the past couple of years. But, Logan, you hit, you hit it right on the head. Get pitching. Pitching, 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 pitching. That should be his main focus. The lineup is very good. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon in the middle of that lineup. Shohei Otani coming off a down year, but will presumably step right back into the middle of that lineup next year. Get this team some pitching. It's been forever since – they, that's what's holding them back right now. I mean, when you have the best, you have the best player in the world, Mike Trout, one of the best players of all time. You have Anthony Rendon, who's an MVP candidate the past couple of years. I mean, just your starting rotation is just not—it's just not good. And that's—I know you guys like to make fun of me for it when I picked them to make the playoffs. That's why they didn't make the playoffs because their starting rotation is terrible. Get some pitching and get it rolling. What, what's the ceiling for him, Gabe? If they do get pitching, dude. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not gonna. It depends. If you go out and sign Trevor Bauer, I mean, you have an ace. I mean, Dylan Bundy was good last year. I mean, you have a one, two there. But getting Trevor Bauer isn't gonna solve everything, right? Because you know, four other guys have to pitch, or let's say three, because Bundy's good. So you need still need three other guys to go out there and pitch. So if you win all Bauer starts, okay, 
well, who's, who's getting th- who's getting you through the rest of the rotation? So you need to get Bauer plus another one or two quality pitches. You don't have to like splurge, but get Bauer, then get two solid guys who will go out, give you some innings, give you some game, who will get you some wins. And I mean, this team this team can can be a playoff team. Mike Trout, we have Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon hitting in the middle of that lineup. That's a scary lineup. So just go out, get some pitching, and come on, let's get it moving. You're wasting Mike Trout Mike Trout's prime. So we kind of touched on the GMs there, the people that put the players on the field. Now let's transition over to the players actually on the field and the guys who manage the players on the field. And let's talk about some awards. So we'll start with the, per se, smaller awards, and then we'll work up to the big boys. So we'll start manager of the year. Um, Don Mattingly, I think very fittingly, won it in the National League, actually becoming just the fifth ever manager of the year and MVP. So he won an MVP in his playing days, manager of the year afterwards, fifth person to ever do that. And uh, somewhat ironically, after his move in the World Series, granted it is a regular season award, but Kevin Cash, with one of the most questionable moves in the history of the World Series, takes home the American League Manager of the Year. So I'll start, Logan, with you. Um, What's your take on these awards? I think they went to the perfect two people there. Uh, Don Mattingly with Miami. We, we talked about it with Kim Ng a little bit. What a job he did with the roster that he had. It was supposed to be probably a year away from being a year away. And uh, what he was able to do with uh, a lot of guys that weren't seemed to be uh, stars on the uh, Miami team, they were able to make a surprise run to finish in second in the NL East, get a surprise sweep over the Chicago Cubs, who a lot of people liked coming out of the NL Central. And I think it was gonna, it was going to be between him and Chase Tingler from the Padres. I didn't really see David Ross in that race whatsoever, but I do I do think they made the right choice of Mattingly there. And then Kevin Cash, there was no question that he was going to win that award. You mentioned uh, postseason aside, this is a regular season award, and what he did in the regular season, it's unqu- it's unquestionable that he won this award. Yeah, and it's interesting to note Kevin Cash actually had 59 different batting orders over the 60 games. It's pretty crazy. He kind of had to uh, piece everybody together. But we got a special guest with us in studio today, uh, Alex. So, Alex, I want your take now on these Manager of the Year awards. It's very hard to disagree with both of the choices. Both Cash and Mattingly are two qualified <clears throat> two qualified candidates. Obviously, the Rays in the AL had a dominant season, making it all the way to the World Series. Couldn't come up with, couldn't get the victory there as they fell to the Dodgers. But the story that I really want to talk about is Don Mattingly. What a job he did with the Marlins, a team that wasn't expected to, to do a whole lot. And what he did as a manager just to really get his team to buy into a system and play hard for each other and get them to the playoffs and get a win in the playoffs was a really great to see. I think, you know, obviously starting off in the American League, Kevin Cash is one heck of a manager. He's definitely all in on that Rays mentality of winning baseball games as far as how they, you know, put together a lineup and, you know, position their guys uh, defensively. So I think they nailed that one in the head. Um, I – Mattingly, I think, is you know is definitely a deserving pick. Um, I think Tingler was another guy. Um, you know, obviously, point totals it wasn't too close with the voters, but uh, I think Tingler was another with the Padres was another worthy candidate. You know, just to be able to give the Dodgers a run for their money uh, in the NL West, I think, is admirable. But yeah, definitely can't go wrong with Don Mattingly either. 
Um, I feel like these two are both no-brainers. Don Mattingly, what he did with the Marlins this year, when you take everything into consideration, if you guys remember the whole COVID thing in the beginning of the year, they lost more than half their roster. Was out for was out for a long time. They were, they were signing guys off the street. And this Marlins team is not supposed to be good to begin with. They were supposed everyone thought last place and then at least the then at least really between the Braves, Nationals, Mets, Phillies. Look at the Marlins. Made the playoffs. One, I mean, I don't know if you can say they won a playoff series, but I guess they did. It's not a it's not a full playoff series, but they moved on in the playoffs. So Don Mattingly, that's that's an absolute no-brainer there. And Kevin Cash, no matter how we feel about his I'm just an awful World Series decision. It's a regular season award. The Rays were one of one of if not the best team in the, in the um, regular season. So divert, he deserved it. Kevin Cash deserved the award, and so his awful World Series decision it, it can't come into play there. Rays were a great team. Kevin Cash was a great manager. Won the award. I, both of those are no brainers. No brainers for me. Yeah, and the way Don Mattingly really managed that whole COVID scene with the Marlins, and then. To get just an absolutely underrated team. I guess you could call them underrated at this point. Underrated team at the beginning of the year. Really uh, overachieved expectations to get them to the playoffs was just something of very impressive feat. So transitioning now over to another award, and I feel like um, one of our Ducks is going to have a pretty opinionated take on this one. The Rookie of the Years. These ones a little more highly contested than the um, – manager of the year as well maybe not in the american league kyle lewis and the unanimous rookie of the year winner over there hit uh 262 11 home runs scored 37 times and walked 34 times uh he was just kind of a human highlight reel bunch of home runs a bunch of robbed home runs as well but over in the national league is a little more competition for that award obviously alec bohm had a very great season but Debbie Williams walks away with the with the uh, award. He struck out 53% of batters he faced, 53%, and only gave up one earned run, eight hits in 27 innings. Just an absolutely dominant year. So, Ben, being a Phillies fan, I can imagine you have a pretty strong take on this. So I'll start with you. How do you feel about this National League and American League Rookie of the Year awards? Well, the American League was, was kind of a shoe-in. You figured that one was you know going to go to Kyle Lewis, and he won it unanimously. And, you know, the Phillies didn't have much go right for him this year. They don't really have much go right for him most years. But Alec Bohm was the lone bright spot. You know, they haven't had a big-time position player prospect come through their system, honestly, probably since, like, the the Jimmy Rollins, Chase Otley, Ryan Howard era. It's been that long, and their farm system's that bad. But Alec Bohm, Alec Bohm's the real deal. He's a pure hitter. He can't really field worth a darn, but he can hit. And, uh you know, I thought he had a chance, but, you know, Devin Williams had an outstanding year. Um, I would like to make the point, though, Devin Williams, I believe he appeared in, like, 13 games in 2019. I mean, so he, he has he has seen major league batters before. Alec Bohm hadn't seen a pitch above double-A before this year. So I'm just saying I'm confident that Bohm is going to be the best, better player in the long run. But Devin Williams, heck of a year, definitely deserving, unfortunately. Any other year would have given it to our guy Bohm. I mean, but Bohm had, Bohm had a great year, Ben. I'm not, not going to lie. But so let's just start with the American League. Kyle Lewis, that, that was a no-brainer, I feel like. That, I don't think there's much of an argument there. But in the National League, I mean, Bohm, he really did have a great year. I mean, he had 338, four home runs, 23 RBIs. But Devin Williams was, um, I mean, he gave one earned run the entire season. One run in 27 innings. Just one. 
one earned run, I four total, but one earned run, 53 strikeouts. It's insane. That that's just dominant, absolutely dominant. So I mean, both were probably deserving. Maybe in another year, Bowman would win it, but Devin Williams was definitely, definitely Bowman who gets that another year. In a normal yeah, year. another year. I mean, I mean, not the year before when Pete Alonso won, but moving moving on. But I mean, Devin Williams. I mean, 0.63 WHIP too. Walks hits per nine. I mean, walks hits per innings pitched. I mean, come on, he was absolutely dominant. But Ben, that is a good point you bring up that he did pitch 13 innings in 2019, so he did see MLB. He was he did get that MLB experience. He got to see MLB hitters the year before. Boom, hasn't played an inning above Double A. But I mean, when you're that dominant on the mound, you have one earned run in 27 innings. I mean, it's it's gonna be very hard for you, very hard for you to lose. I thought the fact that he was able to throw 20, be that dominant over the course of the 60 game season. But the fact that he threw 27 innings, you know, basically playing games back to back to back, I think, you know, you don't have that much rest on your arm. I thought that was really impressive. For sure. I agree. Yeah. And I think in a normal year with 162 games to be played, Alec Baum would definitely win uh rookie of the year in, 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 in the NL. But what Devin Williams just kind of to echo what you guys have been saying, just one run over 27 innings. It's it's spectacular. He's he just made himself into the best player, or at least one of the best players in that Brewers bullpen. And I think he definitely deserved the win. But if if you add on over 100 more games to that total, there's a pretty good chance that Devin Williams will give up more than just one run in a season. So that would probably help Alec Baum's case for rookie of the year. I think what uh, kind of held held him back with was the fact that he only hit four home runs. Yeah, he hit uh, three. He hit three thirty-eight with eleven doubles, but he only had four home runs in the entire season. Which I get it; he's not really that much of a power guy. But four home runs in forty-four games in this era, I feel like you should be asking for a little bit more there. And uh, just kind of to, to uh, what you guys said in the AL, Kyle Lewis, no doubt he was going to win this. It kind of seemed like from the second he stepped the field, he was the best player in the Seattle Mariners. Led them in a lot of the uh, key statistical categories. I think home runs, RBIs, maybe batting average. But what he's able to do this year, um, not not batting average, but like what what he was able to do this year, uh, both on offense and defense on a pretty bad Seattle team, I feel like it was very interesting to watch. So I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. Now, obviously, I don't think um, Alec Bohm had enough at-bats to quite qualify for the statistical league leaders because I don't see him on this list here. But if he would have, he would have been tied for um, 11th in on-base percentage to go along with top 25 in OPS. To do that on a team where, you know, they struggled, not as much offensively, but just a team that wasn't that great, he came up and he was kind of a spark plug for that team. He, I would say he was, I would go as far as saying he was probably their best hitter right up there along with JT and Bryce. And, you know, Bryce got that massive deal and JT's going to get paid this offseason. I think as great of a year as Devin Williams had, and you can't really, you know, punish him for pitching before. But, you know, he did only throw 27 innings. Now, I know that, um, like I said, Bohm didn't have enough at-bats to qualify. But, you know, I just, Bohm had a very good year, and so did Devin Williams. But but to me, what Bohm did to come up, like you said, never playing a game in the MLB, and to hit the way he did, he just looked like he fit right in. And and I, I think I would have given it to him, honestly. I'd also like to point out he hit like 450 with runners in scoring position. I mean, this guy was as, as clutch as they come with runners in scoring position. So, yeah. Couldn't so, go wrong with him either. 
Yeah, and, and that's kind of the thing. It was sort of like a catch twenty two. You know, one one fan base was going to be upset, but I I I would have given it to Bohm. I if I had a vote, I would have I would have voted Bohm, and then um I would have voted Devin Williams. But it's kind of a one A one B thing, so I understand. But it just stinks, like you said, for Phillies fans. You know, in a year where everybody had such high hopes, nothing went right. And just add this on top. So, National League Rookie of the Year winner, as we mentioned, a pitcher. But he was not the best pitcher in the National League. That went to Trevor Bauer, who is now a free agent. Now a free agent, Trevor Bauer, and reigning Cy Young Award winner. And then in the American League, no doubt about this one. First unanimous choice in the American League since 2011, Shane Bieber was just unhittable all season. So really no doubt that he was going to get this award. Um, but the National League, that was a little more up in question. You know, you Darvish had had a great year as well. He finished second. So, Logan, I'll start with you this time. Um, I don't really know if we need to talk about the American League so much because that was just kind of a shoe in Like, there was no debate, obviously, being unanimous. So talk about the National League a little bit. Yeah, I think it was clear that Trevor Bauer was the favorite in this award. I think he uh, led all, all three of the candidates in ERA with a 1.73 ERA, and he had a, uh, a .795 whip, which was the best in the National League as well. And I think this award, it was pretty clear it was going to go to either Bauer. Or I, I even think it was either going to be Bauer or DeGrom. Because um, you had Bauer and Darvish, who both played in the uh, Central Division, and they played Central opponents. So Bauer kind of led Darvish in both of the key categories in ERA and WHIP. And I mean, Darvish had a 2.01 ERA, which is good, but um, Bauer definitely beat him out in the, st- the, st- the uh, t- statistical categories there. But look at Degrom; he played in a completely di- completely different division in the Eastern side, and he had the worst ERA of the uh, three candidates. But you can argue that playing on the team that he did, which is as bad, which is a really bad defensive team in the New York Mets, and he played really good competition in the Rays, the Yankees the Braves, the Marlins, the Phillies, you can even say, and even the World Series champion Nationals. So the East, probably the best competition for DeGrom to face. So maybe you can argue if you weigh that into into the into the mix a little bit. Maybe DeGrom gets some more consideration. But I, I really think the race is either going to be between uh, DeGrom or Bauer. And I know DeGrom got third, but I think Bauer was the right choice here. I think Trevor Bauer had an excellent season this year. Obviously, as he won the National League Cy Young Award. And what a year for him to have it going into free agency. Really boosts his value. And there was really no question about it. Five, he had five wins, four losses on the year, 1.73 ERA. And just him, as if when you watch Reds games, he was must-see TV. Obviously, we know with all of his antics, he's already a, high, a highly a must-watch player. And he really showed out this year. As I mentioned before, the excellent ERA, and he was one of the main reasons why the Reds had such a good season with him and Sonny Gray anchoring that rotation. It was a, it was a great season by Barrett, and he was a lot of fun to watch him pitching this year. Yeah, you know, you brought up a good point. It is his uh, free agent year, his walk year, and it's going to be interesting kind of this free agency to see how the market develops, who gets what, but... Um, Bauer, you know, as you mentioned, the ERA, he also led the league two complete game shutouts. So that led the league in complete games and obviously then shutouts. He also only gave up 41 hits in 73 innings, which was just uber impressive and led the league with a 276 ERA plus, which is just bonkers. You know, the the highest 
before that for his career, he had a 126 or sorry, a 196 ERA plus in 2018 when he was an all-star this year, all the way up at 276, also led the league in whip. He was just absolutely unreal, filthy. Um, but another interesting nugget, this is the uh, first pair of teammates from the previous year to both win Cy Youngs last year or the next year. So pretty cool nugget there. Um, but now we'll turn it over to Ben. Ben, um, talk about the National League Cy Young a little bit. Pretty tight race. Yeah, I mean, I like Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer was my guy in that race. Um, you know, just to see the way, you know, he's a little different, Trevor Bauer. And, you know, you're able to see him kind of document his season and, you know, how he prepares for his starts, you know, through his vlog. So I think that's, that's you know, pretty cool. But he's definitely great for baseball and to see how animated he gets. And one thing I'd like to point out, his stats are amazing. But the Reds were in a playoff hunt, you know, basically all six, the you know, entirety of the 60-game schedule, you know, came down to the wire uh, for them to get in. He was a large part of that. And I believe he was pitching every fourth day down the stretch. So the way he's able to take care of his body, the way he was able to, you know, pitch around the different challenges that the 60-game season presented and still pitch at such a high level is truly remarkable. That being said, I have a little bit of a take. And it's not like some wild take, but, you know, for position players, everyone knows Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. It's like not a doubt. But there are years when he doesn't finish, like this year, he finished fifth in the MVP voting. But I think we can all still say Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. He's better um, than Jose Abreu, right? I mean, that's he's just the best, right? Um, I think that's Jake DeGrom for pitchers. Jake DeGrom, in my opinion – He's, I know he won the Cy Young the past two seasons, but he's the best in the game. Like, Trevor Bauer won the Cy Young. He's a great pitcher, heck of a pitcher. But but Jake DeGrom's the best in the game, in my opinion. Thank you, Ben. I would love to hear that. But, um, yeah, I mean, Trevor Bauer, he, this year he deserved to win Cy Young. He had the best season, or the 176 ERA. So when you when you have an ERA that good, uh, 173, actually, you're going to win You're gonna win the award. But, but for second place, I know Darvish got second place. I probably would have gave it to DeGrom. I may just be biased, but DeGrom led the NL in strikeouts. ERA was a little bit higher, but, you know, I would have gave second place to DeGrom, Darvish third place. But I think it was – I don't think it was really a debate that Bauer was going to win it. I know it was a lot closer than the American League where Shane Bieber just blew everyone away. But I don't think it was really a debate who was going to win. I I think it was – Bauer was clearly the best pitcher this year. But, yes, Ben, Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball overall. When you take everything into consideration – could very easily have three straight Cy Youngs if it wasn't for Bauer's incredible year. So, yeah, but I would probably would have went Bauer one, DeGrom two, Darvish three. But at the end of the day, Bauer and Bieber, I think we're both – I don't think it was much of a debate who was going to win the AL and, AL and NL Cy Young awards. I probably would have – I think the voters got it right. I think Darvish deserved to be second. And interestingly enough, this is his second time as the runner-up. You know, yes, he didn't have the gaudy strikeout numbers, He, but he did have um, – did have, like I said – uh, the better ERA. Um, but just kind of like what Ben said, a little bit of voter fatigue, I think. Um, we've seen Jacob DeGrom win it two times in a row. It's kind of like why LeBron doesn't win MVP every year. Like, he could. He could win MVP every year, but he doesn't because got to give it to other people. So it's cool to see you, Darvish, back up there. Um, it was 2013, the last time he even got a Cy Young vote. Uh, so it's cool to see you, Darvish, back up there. And... I think that the voters got this right. So far, I think the voters probably got everything right. Um, I said National League Rookie of the Year. Could have gone either way, so you can't really fault them for that. But 
We got the big one, but we're going to leave some suspense. We'll talk about the MVP candidates on the other side of the break, and we'll talk about the MVP winners, talk a little bit more about free agency, had a couple of guys accepting their qualifying offers, all that and more coming up on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Ducks on the Pond here on Com Radio. I'm Zach Moore. Listen to me and my co-host Cameron Tofel on Com Radio every Wednesday, 4.15 to 5.15, here and only here on Com Radio. Now drop that beat. chicken you always make if only you were here homesick hurts at least you don't have to deal with it all by yourself come to the coop the korean fried chicken restaurant in downtown state college good food away from home we'll be here with you we are hiring penn state's campus dining is looking for passionate and talented students to join their team it puts student employees first with flexible scheduling and no minimum hours per week, so it won't interfere with classes and clubs. Wages start at $9 an hour, and there are regular opportunities for raises and advancements throughout the year. Join Campus Dining, the perfect money move for your semester. Visit their website online at foodservices.psu.edu for more information and to apply today. We are stronger, Lions Pride. Stand together, blue and white. Lions Pride, show the world your Penn State side. Lions Pride, you're living, you're loving Lions Pride. Are you ready for Penn State football? Come into Lions Pride for all your Penn State football apparel. We're located in downtown State College, directly across from Old Main. You're listening live to your number one source for Penn State sports, Com Radio. And welcome back into Co- Ducks on the Pond here on Com Radio. I'm your host, Zach Lambert, joined in studio by Logan Barandis and over Zoom by Gabe Angieri. And Ben Surface, and we obviously still have our special guest, Alex, in studio with us today as well. So, as I mentioned on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about MVPs now. And big shout-out to Freddie Freeman. Took home the MVP, and, um, man, I'm just so happy for him. If anybody deserves it, it's Freddie Freeman. You just, like, he's he's just been at it for so long. Like, it's kind of shocking to think, like, he hasn't gotten it yet. Like, he's just been such a staple, and he's been so consistent, so good. This year, he's rewarded with the MVP. And over in the American League, Jose Abreu, just an absolutely great season at the dish. Did not cool down at all. Really was hitting from start to finish. And the first White Sox to win the MVP since Frank Thomas did it back-to-back. 
So, Logan, I'll start with you since I'm looking right at you. What do you think about these MVP awards? Do you think they got it right? I think they did, and uh, you mentioned Freddie Freeman. Uh, there's very few people that deserve an MVP more, and this is a guy who's been very underappreciated, and I'm saying this as a rival of his team. This is a guy who's been very underappreciated with Atlanta uh, throughout his entire career. I don't think he's ever gotten the uh, MVP notoriety that he has up until this season, and he really deserved it. He, he hit 341 this year, had a 462 on base percentage. He didn't have the home run numbers like the other two players that were up for this award, but he had a high walk rate. He was easily the best player on this Atlanta team that won the NL East and made it to the uh, NLCS this year. And just his story, too, because he had uh, COVID at the start of the year. He talked about how uh, he he did have symptoms and how hard it was to deal with that. So I feel like there was a uh, much a really big story factor to it as well. And I think uh, some people are arguing that Mookie Betts does deserve it from the, from the Dodgers, hitting 292 with 16 home runs. I think the uh, tough thing, the tough thing with the home run totals this year, is that there were a lot of people um, towards towards the um, league leaders in home runs this year, to the point where Mookie Betts hitting 16 home runs in 55 games doesn't really mean much, and just hitting 292, it's not that impressive over 60 games where you have Freddie Freeman hitting 50 points higher than him this year. So I think the voters definitely got it right. And then Manny Machado, you could have flip flopped him with uh, him or Fernando Tatis Jr., their teammates. I think they finished third and fourth respectively. But I think whoever was in that spot, they were finishing in third. And then looking at Jose Abreu, this is another guy that uh, hasn't really gotten a lot of, a lot of notoriety throughout his career. Uh, played, mo- played his entire career with the White Sox. He's been in trade rumors uh, for the past couple seasons as the White Sox have kind of been like uh, in the bottom of the league for, the, for a long time. He's always stayed, and he's finally he's finally rewarded for that this year. The White Sox made the playoffs, didn't make it far, but they made the playoffs. They uh, and Abreu just won MVP, had a great season as well. He led the he he led the entire MLB in RBIs, which this is a crazy number, hitting 60 RBIs in just 60 games, and he led the MLB in hits and slugging, and he was second in in home runs, only behind Luke Voigt with 19 home runs. So I think he did deserve it. I think DJ, DJ LeMahieu deserved to be up there. I think he should have been second uh, to Jose Ramirez being third, but LeMahieu had another great year hitting 364. And I was just surprised with the AL, the only thing that guys like Mike Trout, Nelson Cruz didn't really get the uh, notoriety and they didn't get really put on the ballot. Mike Trout finished in fifth, and Nelson Cruz had a really hot start to the year, and he had really good um, hitting totals. So I feel like he should have been getting a little bit more notice there. But I think they got it right with Abreu. Yeah, I think they got it right with Jose Abreu. I mean, he's a guy, and both he and Freeman are, I, in my opinion, are very underrated. But you know, Abreu's been a guy who, you know, ever since coming into the league, and he's been with the White Sox his whole career. He's quietly put together a nice resume, uh, statistically speaking. You know, he, you know, he hits. You can pencil him in for twenty-five home runs. He'll hit, you know, two eighty. Every year, but this year, you know, he really excelled. He's probably the deadliest hitter in the American League. Um, I think DJ LeMahieu, I agree with you, um, probably should have been the runner-up. Now, I think if DJ plays a full season, maybe it's a little bit of a different story. But, you know, um, statistically speaking and what they were able to accomplish, Abreu, I think, is more than deserving. On the National League side of the ball, Freddie Freeman's my guy. I mean, you know, like you said, Logan, and I'm sure you can relate, Gabe, when you're watching your team play the Braves, there's one guy you don't want to see come up, and that's Freddie Freeman. He is the deadliest of all those guys in that lineup, and it's and it's a loaded lineup with Ozuna, 
and uh, Dansby Swanson and Acuna, Acuna, and you know they got a load of guys who can hurt you. Freeman's the guy who's been doing it the longest, and he's the most deadly in that lineup. And he can pick it at first base. You know, he's a Gold Glove caliber first baseman. But man, he can he can spray the ball all over the park. He can hit, find the gaps. He can find little singles the other way, home runs all over the yard. Um, yeah, Freddie Freeman, one of the most underrated players in baseball, and it, I'm happy for him that he got his first MVP. One of four Canadians now to win the MVP, just so you guys know. Yeah, Fre- Freddie Freeman is um, guy's unbelievable. When I tell you, for all the rivals the Mets have on the Phillies, Nationals, this is all all those teams. Freddie Freeman is the guy I dread playing the most. Freddie Freeman. You, you have Juan Soto, you have Bryce Harper, you have Ronald Acuna. It's Freddie Freeman. Because every time that guy's at the plate, you'll, I always just get a bad feeling. He rarely, he, I feel like he's always doing something against the Mets, whether it's a double in the gap, double down the line, home run. Single with with runners in scoring position, Freddie Freeman throughout his career has been underrated. It's hard for a guy who's this good to be underrated. He hasn't gotten the recogni- recognition he deserves. He plays a Gold Glove first base, like you said, Ben. And I'm, as a Mets fan, I know it's crazy for me to say this, but I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Freddie Freeman that he got this MVP because he's a likable guy. It's not like it's like from a Mets fan perspective, like he's Bryce Harper or something. Freddie, sorry, like about that poor Bryce. You know, he's not even in this discussion. The poor guy. <laughs> mm, oh, he's yeah. just rent free in Mets fans' heads, I guess. No, nah, he's he's. A, I can't stand the guy. Rent Especially, free. He, no, he he was worse when he was with the Nationals, but he, since he's gone to the Phillies, I don't hate, I don't dislike him as much. But it's because the they Nationals, don't win. That's why. What? It's because the Phillies don't win. True, but Harper is he's a hothead. He's always screaming at something. What? With yeah, the Nationals, hard. With, I haven't seen it seen it as much. This is a discussion for another time, though. We'll get I can I can I can go on and on about that. But Freddie Freeman definitely deserves it. I'm very happy for him. And I don't think I, I said it since like the middle of the season that Freddie Freeman should be the guy. I, I think it was like towards the end of the end of the season when Tatis started to cool down a little bit. But then in the American League, Jose Abreu, I do think that was the right choice there. I mean, DJ LeMayu did bat 364, but he didn't play a full season, like you said, Ben. So he had 216 plate appearances. Jose Abreu had 262 plate appearances. That first in a 60 game season, that's significant. That's a significant margin. And like you said, Abreu led the league in RBIs, 19 home runs, batted 317 too, 987 OPS. He, I think that was definitely the right choice. I think again, the voters got it right. To, got it right with this award. Before I uh, give my take, I I want to put Ben on the spot. Ben, do you know who the other three Canadians are? I do. Let's hear it. Uh, Joy Votto. Yep. Justin Morneau. Yep. Last one's Walker. the easiest. Yep. There you go. Good job. 97 was Walker, 06, Morneau, and Joey Votto in 2010. Good job. Thank, um, you. Thank you. I think for this NL MVP race, if Juan Soto plays a full year, Juan Soto wins the MVP. Uh, I don't really think that can be debated. I mean, he was just – Joey – or uh, Freddie Freeman – you got Joey Votto in my head now. Freddie Freeman had a fantastic year. But Juan Soto, his year was right up there with Freddie Freeman's, even like cumulative numbers-wise almost. Um, almost as many walks, just as many home runs, you know, not, not nearly as many doubles. But he played in uh, 13 less games, so he hit 351, 490 on base, and a 695 slugging. He had an OPS of... <laughs> 1,185. 
otherworldly. I think if if Juan Soto plays a full year, Juan Soto takes home the MVP. The other thing I noticed in the National League MVP race was just how far down Marcelo Zuna finished. I thought he would get a little bit more love than he did. I mean, he had a fantastic year, too. He hit 338, 431 OPP. Uh, 636 slugging another OPS over a thousand he played all 60 games he's hit had 77 hits yeah his defense is bad but his his offense was just unreal I mean for him he didn't even get a second place vote he got two third place votes one fourth place vote I think he should have got a little bit more love I think the defense brought him down because if you when you look at the top three Freeman Betts and Machado all great defenders too I think that's yeah. what brought him down. I'm not, I don't know if that's right, but he had a great of- offensive year. But I think ultimately that's what brought him down because they did use him as a DH a lot. And when he was in left field, it didn't go great. Yeah, and obviously, like Gabe and I, we, we saw him uh, in the division against the Mets. And he did most of his damage against the Mets. But when you take a look at him in the lineup, he's mostly either DH or kind of like what Gabe said, he's in the outfield and he's not giving up the uh, best of performances there. Yeah, now I'm not saying he should have won. But I think... His offensive year warrants a higher placement than he did. Honestly, the way Tatis cooled down at the end of the year, I might have put him over Tatis if I was voting. Um, I don't know if he would have cracked my top three. I think the top two are pretty set in stone, like you guys have kind of said. I think it was Freeman Betts. But I could have I slid him into third. He finished below Juan Soto, um, who actually came in fifth. But... I want to get uh, your take, Alex. What What do you kind of think about these MVP awards? It's hard to dispute with the seasons that both Freeman and Abreu had. Obviously, we talked about how great Freddie Freeman was, and as you mentioned, that Juan Soto, if he would have if he would have played the full year, it definitely would have been a closer race as Freddie Freeman got twenty eight first place votes. But I want to look more in the AL, and I'm not really questioning why or just that Jose Abreu won. I want to look at the the second and third place. Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Indians finished second, and DJ LeMahieu of the New York Yankees finished third. And I think DJ LeMahieu definitely should have finished second. He had an excellent year, hitting 364, took home the batting title. And DJ LeMahieu, alongside Luke Voigt, was one of the main reasons why the Yankees were competitive. We saw the Yankees go down with a lot of injuries this season to guys like Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and DJ LeMahieu was that guy at the top of the lineup who really saved the Yankees' season offensively. And we saw his stats. He also had 10 homers, 27 RBIs. And I'm not saying Jose Ramirez had a bad year at all, but I don't think it really compared to the year that DJ LeMahieu had. Yeah, and that kind of brings up the uh, the discrepancy in, in how some people may view the award. You mentioned how truly valuable he was to the Yankees. They suffered so many injuries. Now, that then looks at, is it the best player or the one who has the most value to their team? And that's kind of like the thing I said about LeBron. Year in and year out, LeBron's the best player in the National Basketball Association. But... Are there years where other people mean more to their team? And and that's kind of the argument for DJ LeMahieu. Now, I, I want to pose a question to you guys. Being that this was only a 60-game season, does this MVP mean less? Or should there be an asterisk by it? Like, when Fre- Freddie Freeman gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, probably on the first ballot, 
are people going to look at his MVP award and be like, if he doesn't win another one, be like, well, he never won a 162 MVP. He just won the 60-game MVP. That's, that shouldn't be the case because everyone had the same shot at winning it. That, that's my opinion. I mean, it's not like Freddie Freeman came out of nowhere and just did this. He's always been a great player. So, I mean, it's not like he, he had like an advantage over someone else. Everyone had the same chance of winning the MVP award. He won it. I don't think that should be a thing. Same thing with like the World Series winner from this year. Should there be an asterisk? We talked about this before the year. No, because everyone had the same exact chance. That's yeah, I my thing. I don't think there'll be like a physical asterisk in like the record books or anything like that. Like you talked about his his uh, first ballot Hall of Fame plate. I don't think there'll be you know an asterisk. Oh, this was twenty twenty. But I think the fans will put their own personal asterisk there. You know, like when I I know at least I think. You know, down the line when I'm looking back at statistics and World Series victors and I see 2020, I'm like, oh, okay, that was the year that they were only played 60 games. Not saying that he didn't have a great year. Freddie Freeman's one of the best players in all of baseball and this MVP is a long time coming. But personally, and not, you know, like your point's fine, Gabe, and I totally agree that everyone had the same chance, you know, um, not knocking him or anything. But I think maybe they're not going to discredit him for it, but I think there will always be that little – you know, thought in the back of that, oh, okay, yeah, that was the year that they only played 60 games. Not that they didn't deserve it or anything. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just don't think you should be penalized for it. I no, don't, no definitely not. I don't but know. I think yeah. people are going to put their own little asterisk in there. Yeah. yeah, 2020, that's the year they played yeah. less than half the season. noted, yeah, I mean, for sure. But, yeah, he just, like I said, it's not like he just came out of nowhere. Like, I don't know, just like a random player. Like, oh, this, this random player had a great 60 games. Freddie Freeman's great. Great. Probably a top five player in the league at this point. Now, talking about those awards being like with the 60-game thing, the Marlins are a team that I think if this is a 162-game season, Don Mattingly doesn't win that award. I agree. You look at the run differential, and they, their run differential is like negative 30. Like, <laughs> they're, like you, you even play 100 games, I don't think the Marlins get into the playoffs. Like, Not that he didn't do a great job, but I, I don't know. 2020 definitely aided the Marlins out. Well, the, I know. I the way that I kind of look at it is, so, kind of like you said, Ben, so, yes, he's not going to be penalized for it, but there's going to be those people that are like, because you could stay hot over 60 games. We've seen, like, in, in 2015, like, Stephen Vogt was hitting, like, something crazy, like 340 at the break, and then he wound up finishing the year uh, hitting, like, 261. We've seen players with super hot first halves fall off in the second half. Now, I'm not saying that Freddie Freeman was just going to fall off of a cliff, but to get it done over 162 is much different than getting it done over just 60. To go in day in and day out for 162 games and hit consistently 340 to get those 35 home runs, I think people are going to be like, well, you know, yes, he had a great career. Phenomenal career. First ballot Hall of Famer. Yes, he's going he's gonna have this MVP, but he if he doesn't get a one sixty two MVP, I think it people might look at him like, well, he never got it done over a full season. Yes, like you said, Gabe, everybody has the same chance. But he was never able to stay hot enough over one sixty two to win the MVP. So people are gonna be like, Yes, great, he got this MVP. But he never got an actual MVP. 
Well, I don't think people are going to say that he's he necessarily never got hot over full 162 games because he's been a quality player in his entire career before this MVP even happened. Like he's been probably a top 10 player at least at one point in the MLB before this season even happened. But kind of going off what Gabe said, everyone had to deal with the same obstacles this entire year. And something we didn't talk about is that everyone had to deal with COVID. That was a huge risk that everyone had to, had to uh, go into the season knowing that there was a risk for. And Freddie Freeman had had that happen to him at the start of the year. He, he had COVID. And there were there were obstacles around COVID. Uh, games got postponed because of it. There were a lot of doubleheaders. Because of COVID, they didn't make a new rule about seven hit, seven inning doubleheaders happened because of COVID. So this might be probably the, one of the hardest seasons to potentially win an MVP for. And I think that I don't think there should be an asterisk personally when you take a look at these awards. I think that there are going to be those fans that'll definitely say that Freddie Freeman didn't win uh, MVP in a 162 game season. Do I think there should be an asterisk? Not at all. Yeah, not not that there should be a literal asterisk by it. I just think. The fact that he won this one in 60 games, yes, great. And I think it solidifies him as an all-time great. But if he can't get one over 162, there are going to be people that are like, man, he couldn't do it over 162. And not like like he said, you know, 2018, he finished fourth in the MVP voting, led the league in hits with 191, led the league in doubles with 44, played all 162 and hit 309. He's a 295 career hitter with over 1,500 hits. He's an all-time great. But there, are, I want to see him win an MVP over a full 162 because there are going to be those people, like people that call LeBron's ring the Mickey Mouse ring or people that say that the Dodgers ring isn't real. I want that proof for Freddie Freeman that, hey, yeah, I won it over 60 games, but it wasn't a fluke. Like, I can also win it over 162. I think he definitely could. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he came out next year and did it. Yeah, I and mean, he, he can. He definitely can. I just want him to do it so that there people can't say, because who the heck wants to tarnish Freddie Freeman? I mean, if you want to tarnish Freddie Freeman, get a life. But I, I don't want there to be the opportunity for people to say that because it's there right now. People could say he couldn't do it over 162. Yeah, and before the season, he's had two prior top five finishes in MVP voting. So he's been there before and couldn't come up just short. So, I mean, this year, I get what you're saying. There will be people just because people, like people like to argue and make, and make hot takes sometimes. But I would not be surprised if he came out next year and did the same exact thing. It's just tough. It might be tough to win a back-to-back MVP just because – the position players in the National League are just so talented. You have up-and-coming guys like Tatis. You have Mookie Betts, who's consistently up there, whether no matter which league he's in. Like you said, Machado just came out. Juan Soto is going to come out next year. and I mean, the Mets have to go up against Juan Soto and Freddie Freeman. I don't wanna, it's, that's just not fun. But Freddie, yeah. Freddie Freeman's not even the most hyped guy on his own team. Yeah. Like, everyone loves Acuna. Like, I it's Ronald Acuna this, Ronald Acuna that. Freddie Freeman's the best player, hands down. That, he absolutely is the best player. It's it's just because Ronald Acuna is young, he's up and coming. People, people forget Freddie Freeman's been in the league for a long time now. It's like kind of crazy. I mean, I feel like just yesterday he just came up with came up with the Braves, but he's been in the league since 2010, 10 years. Yeah, and you know, there's there's just that argument that's out there for somebody to take is that he didn't have the chance to get cold in a 60 game season, and did he get? If he would have gotten cold, would he have won it? Um, but you know, maybe that's a discussion for another day. Just I thought that maybe this MVP won't be viewed in the same light as other MVPs, and it, it very well could. But we only got a couple minutes left, so we're going to talk a little bit of free agency here. 
qualifying offers went out to guys, and uh, we had two people accept it, two starting pitchers. Mets, Marcus Stroman accepted it, and uh, also Kevin Gosman of the Giants accepted it. Cy Young winner Trevor Bauer said, uh-uh, I'm worth more than that. So did DJ LeMay, who finished third in the MVP voting. So did JT Real Muto of the Phillies. He will be on the market as well as George Springer, who just had yet another amazing postseason. So I think after Stroman accepted his, it was no doubt that Kevin Gosman was going to accept his because he wouldn't have got more than Stroman on the market. I don't even think Gosman would have got, what, the $18.9 million that the qualifying offer was worth. I think that's a way overpay for him. He had a 3.62 ERA. Cut me a break. Marcus Stroman, I don't know if he would have got $18.9 million. He's an idiot to even consider the idea of going to the market. He has not been good lately. Um, but, you know, he did He did have a 3-2-2. Um, so he, had, in, in, he, he was okay. But the guys that didn't accept it, Bauer, LeMahieu, Real Muto, and Springer, some big names there, Logan. Yeah, definitely some big names, and I think the uh, big shock with this qualifying offer period was there was a little amount of qualifying offers even offered, and I think the only shocking one that was offered was Kevin Gosman. Uh, you took a look at Marcus Stroman. I think it, w- it would have been tough for him to get $18 million on the market, especially since he opted out of this year, and when he when he came to the Mets uh, through a trade back in 20, uh, 2018, he was very slow in the second half, and his play dropped off tremendously, so... It would have been tough for him to make $18 million. Kevin Gosman definitely would have been tough to make $18 million just because he's kind of been a journeyman these past couple of years. Had a, had, a, had a pretty good year with the Giants last year, but I don't think he would have gotten $18 million at all. And really the only reason that Marcus Stroman accepted the uh, qualifying off- offer was because a uh, new owner of the Mets, Steve Cohen, held a press conference a couple days ago. And I guess it kind of hyped Marcus Stroman up to the point that pretty much just said, hey, I want to play for this guy. He's really committed to winning both now and the long term with the Mets. Why would I not come back for the future? So that's probably the big reason why Marcus Stroman accepted that. And then kind of like you said, Zach, there was no way Kevin Gosman was going to get more than $18 million, So kind of had to accept that offer there. But, yeah, it's a very interesting qualifying offer period. It should be interesting to see uh, what the guys who decline those offers get in the market. Stroman accepting, it kind of surprised me because there was a lot of speculation for a while that he was going to opt out, that he wasn't going to accept it and test the market. I feel like Stroman is a good pitcher. Like, when he came over to the Mets, he struggled at first, but down the stretch, in his last three starts, he had an ERA under two. So he struggled when he first came over, but down the stretch, in those last couple of starts, he adjusted. He's really good. And that whole 2019 season, between the Blue Jays and the Mets, he had a 3-2-2. The year before, he made 19 starts as a wash, but the year before that, he had a 3-0-9. I mean, Marcus Stroman is a good pitcher. Let's not forget that. So I feel like he would have been the second best pitcher on the, on the market behind Bauer, but I just feel like because of the, the market, maybe a little bit slower because of COVID and everything, that I feel like he would have got just around that mark, but I feel like he's just playing it safe, maybe comes back to the Mets, has a really good year, then the next year he could really cash in and make between $25, 30000000 $30 So, I mean, him coming back, I think it's a smart move for him, and it's definitely good for the Mets. I mean, it's insurance that for sure if you don't get Bauer. And if you do get Bauer, I mean, you have a you – have a, Awesome rotation with the Grom, Bauer, Stroman, David Peterson, whenever Syndergaard comes back next year. But, yeah, Gosman uh, accepting it, that's a no-brainer. I don't know what he'd be doing if he uh, if he didn't accept that. I, there's, he's not getting – I don't think he would have gotten close to that, to be honest with you. But, yeah, I think this is a smart move for Stroman. So I didn't see it coming until, like, until like the day before there was speculation that he was going to accept. But, no, I think it's definitely a smart move for him, and it's good for the Mets. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a smart move on both guys who accepted the qualifying offer. 
Kevin Gosman's always been a guy who's got some talent, but was never able to put it together. We'll see if he can, you know, build off of his, off of his 2020 season. But Marcus Stroman's a guy that I know there was speculation, but I think it's definitely the right decision for him to take it. Um, and uh, I don't think, I think that's what he's, what that's about what he's worth annually, um, you know, in a normal season. So I really don't know what he would have gotten in, in this off season. But what I think is going to be interesting is, is what the big guys get, because there are a number of them. You have Trevor Bauer, you know, who's the best pitcher in the game or one of them right now coming off his 2020 season. you got JT Real Muto, best catcher in the game. George Springer, one of the most clutch players in the postseason, a great center fielder. So I think, you know, you're seeing these guys, you know, uh, two, only two guys accepted the qualifying offer, but you're seeing guys get released. You're seeing, you know, odd things happen because of COVID. So it'll be interesting to see if that big money is still out there for the big fish. Yeah, and a couple of guys that did not receive a qualifying offer because they were just ineligible to, either because they got traded or have already received one. Uh, Nelson Cruz, be interested to see what he gets. He'll probably get somewhere around there. Marcelo Zuna, I mentioned, he had a fantastic season. Um, those Justin Turner. Um, so some guys that, like, could get around that, but who knows? They were not able to receive one. And then a couple of guys that just didn't get one. Uh, Liam Hendricks, interesting to see what he gets. Marcus Semien as well of the of the A's. Michael Brantley, he is a great hitter. Uh, Josh Reddick, I don't think he'll get around that. Didi Gregorius, uh, Tanaka didn't get one. Andrelton Simmons, James McCann. So uh, teams were definitely more uh, not using their qualifying offers this offseason as opposed to other offseasons. But, um, guys, unfortunately, we are we are out of time. It is 945, and, and that means it's time for us to sign off. We will be live again next week. Not sure who will be in studio, but last live show of the semester. Um, last live show from Innovation Park, actually. Yeah. Com Radio is going to be moving onto campus into the Willard Building, new studio. So thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. And uh, be sure to tune in next week for the last live show of the semester and from Innovation Park. Going to make me cry. Yeah, (laughs) going to miss this place. So thank you guys so much. You just listened to Ducks on the Pond here live on Com Radio. Thank you for listening to Com Radio, a production by the students of the Belisario College of Communications at Penn State University. We now return you to scheduled programming.